0: If you're looking for information on business, fashion, or fashion design you want to make sure you're listening to someone who has experience in those fields. I'm here to tell you, you've come to the right channel. I used to be right where you are. I'm a small town girl from Minnesota and I made it to the number one most recognized name in prom dress designers. Hello, I'm Deborah Rochelle. My dresses have been featured in every teen magazine like Seventeen, Cosmo Girl, Cosmopolitan, and many, many more. They've been on celebrities, in the movies, on Broadway, walking down the red carpet. I've licensed my products, I hold several patents, and I used to own a chain of retail stores. I was even the first dress store ever on the internet. I was designing, manufacturing, wholesaling, and retailing my dresses all over the world under my trademarked brand name of Deborah Rochelle. I had five factories in China and was importing dresses into the United States and exporting them all over the world. Then, out of the blue, I received an offer on my company and I took it and I retired at the age of 42. But the point here is that at one time, I was where you are at now and I can teach you how to get where I ended up. Come to the right channel if you're looking for information on business, fashion, or fashion design. I've been there and I've done that. A lot of people think those who have succeeded don't want others to succeed, but from my point of view, it's just the opposite. I want everybody to succeed in doing what they love to do. What a perfect world this would be, everybody just doing what they love. So sit back, relax, and let's talk a little bit about business, maybe throw in some fashion. Okay, so we're making our way through the 10 steps needed to start your business. And in episode one, you learned how to find the perfect business for you to succeed in. In episode two, we talked about how to write a business plan. And in episode four, I talked about how to fund your business. If you remember, I mentioned one way to fund your idea or your project or your business was to use vendors or manufacturers that you use to make your product. I was just thinking about Christian Dior. And when he came out with his very first collection in 1947, it was an instant sensation. And the world decided to call it the new look. What most people don't realize is that it was backed by a wealthy textile financier named Marcel Broussard. And this was a great investment on Broussard's part. He was smart to realize that Dior might have something here and he'd be using his textiles in Dior's collection. So he was not only making money on the financing of Dior, he was also making money on the textiles that Dior was using in his collection. This just goes to show you that you have to be creative when you come up with funding for your business. The answer may be right at your fingertips. As it was literally for Dior as he was draping fabric across his mannequins. This fabric was owned by his financier. So now we're getting into what the fourth step is needed to start your business, and that has to do with the legalities of running a business. You may think this sounds boring, and I would have to agree it is, <laughs> but listen up, because the consequences of setting up these legalities wrong can have crucial financial consequences. So you want to make sure you do it right. Business owners need to determine the structure the business will take. And this is a crucial step because it determines how much you'll be paying in taxes and how liable you will be personally should something go wrong. And if you set this up wrong, you may lose a lot of money. The three most common forms a business can be organized in are that of a one, a sole proprietor, or two, a partnership, or three, a corporation. A sole proprietor is when a single person owns the company. I could have been a sole proprietor because I owned 100% of my own company. It's probably the easiest to set up, and when you decide to dissolve a sole proprietorship, you can just basically just walk away from the company. It's perfect for those people who want no partners, because you will always maintain 100% control over how the company operates. When you fill out your taxes, everything just goes right into your own personal income tax. However, the reason why I didn't choose this type of legal form for my company was one very important reason. In a sole proprietorship, the owner is 100% liable or responsible for anything that happens in your company. And if somebody decides to sue you, they can come after everything you own. For instance, if I had an employee that was being sexually harassed by another employee, That employee could come after everything that I own, not only in the company, but everything I own personally. Now, I'm not pretending to be a lawyer. So for the most accurate facts on this, I suggest you contact a lawyer. I'm just giving you my personal opinion. If your company sold a product, whether it was something you invented or something you purchased from another company and resold it, and let's say the buyer of that product hurt themselves with that product they can not only go after anything your company owns, but they can also go after you personally as a sole proprietor. In a sole proprietor, you also have no partners to rely on for other areas of expertise. This can be overwhelming for some people, whereas people like me, I thrive in having total control. Another disadvantage is raising capital is harder with sole proprietorships and expansion can be difficult. For some people, A sole proprietorship is a good way to start a business. You can always change to another business structure, such as a corporation or a partnership in the future. That brings us to the second form of a business structure, which is a partnership. Partnerships are owned by two or more owners. And each is equally responsible or liable for what happens within the corporation and how it is run on a day-to-day basis. However, sometimes this isn't good either, because if you had a partner and they didn't own anything, but you had many investments in your portfolio, someone who maybe sues you for something your partner may have done can go after everything you both own, you and your partner. So if your partner has nothing, they can go after your portfolio. Both of you are also responsible for any debt you may incur. So if your partner overspends within your company, that's on both of you as well. Like a sole proprietor, any profit is again recorded on your personal income taxes of both partners. One of the downfalls of a partnership is disagreements often take place within partnerships, and this can cause really some unwanted stress within the company. To set up a partnership, you need a written contract called Articles of a Partnership. This states like who the partners are, the length of the partnership, how profit and losses are divided among the partners, and it determines who will be taxed for what. Also, probably the intentions of the partnership, who is contributing what. Someone may be a worker and the other person just gives money, like as a financier. It would talk about what the degree of management authority is for each partner, and what their salaries are, how future affairs will be handled, should one or more of the partners die or somebody becomes disabled, if you give it to your relatives, if it's handed down, or perhaps there's a buyout to eliminate one of the partners in the future. There's also a business structure called a limited partnership. If someone doesn't want to have unlimited liability as in a regular partnership, they can choose to only be liable for what they invested in the corporation. And most of the time, the limited partner doesn't usually play an active role in the company. They leave that up to the general partners. So some of the advantages of a partnership over a sole proprietor is that you have more resources or capital that can be combined. And also partners may specialize in different areas. Each may offer their own area of expertise. And the third main type of business structure is that of a corporation. Corporations are owned by stockholders. So like limited partnerships, stockholders are only liable for the amount they paid for their shares of stock. And this is the reason why I incorporated my business. When you set up the corporation, you issue stock. Each stockholder has a vote based on the percentage of stock they own, and the company must have a board of directors. If you own 100% of the stock in the corporation, you can be the sole person on the board of directors or hire people to be on your board of directors. The board also hires the management in the corporation, and profit is paid to the stockholders as a dividend, or they can also issue more stock in the company which you're then taxed on as personal income. Corporations can be privately held. For instance, with my company, I own 100% of the shares. Or the stock can be publicly traded on the open market. This is where stocks can be sold or purchased in an exchange like the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. And here, at least some of the shares are owned by the general public who are not involved in the day-to-day operations of the company. So let me give you an example of a fashion partnership that turned into a corporation. You may have heard of Esprit de Corps. This company was very popular in the 1980s. But here's how it started. In the 1960s, a designer named Jane Tisa proposed a business venture to her friend Susie Tompkins. Together they formed a partnership and named their company Plain Jane Dress Company. While Jane Tisa designed the clothes, Tompkins sold them. After it was successful locally in California, a man named Alan Schwartz became a third partner in the company who marketed the brand to New York department stores. Then later in the 1960s, Susie's husband, Doug Tompkins, joined Plain Jane as a fourth partner. At the time, the Tompkins owned roughly about 45% and Tisa and Schwartz held 55%. While Jane Tisa and Susie Tompkins designed the product and added new designs and labels to their popular line, Doug and Schwartz handled the marketing and sales responsibilities. In the 1970s, their sales started exceeding over a million dollars a year. That's when they incorporated the company and became esprit de corps. Doug Tompkins then decided he wanted to take over the major decisions in the business. So in 1976, Schwartz and Tisa sold their shares to the Tompkins. It was an amicable buyout and Schwartz decided to leave, but Tisa remained as the chief financial designer for three more years. Because she no longer owned a stake in the company, she became distraught feeling the Tompkins were no longer listening to her ideas, so she up and left and Susie was put in charge of the designs. At this time, the corporation was still privately held. And during the early 1980s, esprit de corps swiftly expanded, distinguishing itself not only through its sales, but the way it reflected its fashions through the eclectic tastes of Susie and Doug Tompkins. From 1979 to 1985, the company's sales grew from $120 million to over $700 million. As the design director, Susie approved all the drawings and the fabrics, while Doug held the titles of president and image director. Then they borrowed $75 million to open several retail stores, and their core retail customers started to complain. The retail customers felt that they were partners with Esprit Decor, and by them opening up their own stores, they were in direct competition with their current store customers that they were selling wholesale to. This is what led to their demise. In 1986 and 1987, Esprit de Corps experienced losses for the first time and earnings fell from $62 million to only $10 million. That's an 83% downturn. And that's around the same time the argument started between the two partners that were left. Now remember, these two partners were also married, not only in business, but in real life. Susie insisted that they hired outside help to help run the company. And in 1988, Esprit Decor was looking for an equity partner to add cash back into the organization. The new board that they hired felt that Susie and Doug should each remain 50% owners of Esprit Decor, but they should give up their operating control of the company. Doug's duties would remain the same, but Susie's changed drastically. She was no longer the chief fashion designer. So basically, she was out of the business. On top of all this, they filed for divorce in their personal life. Thus, in July of 1989, Esprit de Corps announced a new plan to refocus Esprit de Corps under one Tompkins, which was Doug, and Doug was given the option to buy out Susie's 50% within 120 days of the agreement. If he chose not to do this, both halves of the company would go up for sale at an auction. It was rumored that Benetton and Reebok both became interested in acquiring Esprit de Corps. Doug never exercised his option to buy out Susie. Only one day before the bidding that Esprit de Clair was to close, Doug and Susie worked out a deal, and Esprit de Corps never went to auction. Thus, in 1990, Susie Tompkins returned to the head of Esprit. She had found a partner to help fund the buyout, and he took a 25% stake ownership. His name was Bruce Katz. Doug retained ownership of Esprit de Corps' Southern European operations and some of its international affiliates, but otherwise he was out. And under Susie's new ownership, she brought back her design team that she had worked with before leaving Esprit de Corps in 1988. Soon thereafter, however, in 1992, Susie Tompkins again stepped down or perhaps she was forced out as the creative director of Esprit de Corps. Esprit de Corps was forced to restructure its loans And it saw a secession of CEOs going in and out of the company and fashion failures. And in 1993, Esprit was taken public. Susie and Bruce Katz had disagreements. And Susie agreed to buy out his minority stake in the company. That's when Katz resigned from Esprit's board of directors. Finally, in 1996, a former vice chairman at both Tommy Hilfiger and Liz Claiborne came to the helm. His name was Jay Margolis and he was backed by Oak Tree Capital of Los Angeles and Cerberus Partners of New York. He bought Esprit decor's defaulted loans for $80 million, and he severed ties with Susie Tompkins. For years after that, there were legal issues tied to tax indemnifications between Susie Tompkins and Esprit de Corps. Throughout all of this, Women's Wear Daily took a poll and ranked Esprit 28th in a list of the 100 most recognized fashion brands. Esprit de corps is a great example to show a company that moved from a partnership to a privately held corporation to a public corporation. And it also shows some of the downfalls and the achievements a company has during their growth or demise. And we'll talk about that more right after this commercial for Anchor FM. So getting back to the example esprit de corps sets for business structure and how important it is. It shows once you lose control of your ownership, your partners no longer have to listen to you. This is exactly what happened to Tizé once she sold her shares of the company to the Tompkins. And remember this whole idea of a fashion company was Tizé's idea in the first place. You also saw the Tompkins and how their partnership broke up and how the company was threatened and almost broke down from their personal divorce. We also saw what happens when a company is taken public and gains new stakeholders. The corporations I've been talking about thus far are C-corporations. There is also an S-corporation, and the S stands for subchapter. My company, Deborah Rochelle Incorporated, is an S-chapter corporation, and I did this for two reasons. The first reason I talked about before, I wanted to incorporate so I'm not personally liable. People can't come after my personal assets. They can only come after the stock or what the company has. The second reason has to do with taxes. So let's talk about taxes a little bit. When you are a sole proprietor, everything you make, all the profit or losses you take, you bring that right to your personal income tax form. The same with partnerships. It goes right to your personal income tax form depending on how your partnership is structured and who gets what as far as having to claim the profits. With a corporation, the corporation itself is charged tax on the income that it makes, and then that income is distributed as dividends to its shareholders. So the shareholders then take that dividends and then they have to report it again as income on their personal income tax form. So basically as a corporation, the income is double taxed, once as a corporation and once from a dividend to the stockholder on their tax form. An S corp is a little bit different. It still retains the fact that the legal obligations of the corporation cannot become the debt of the individual associated with the business. Another advantage is you're not double taxed like a C corporation. All the profits or losses are turned right over to the shareholders for their personal income tax return. I'll be going into greater detail on this on the book that I have coming out in the near future. So let's go over some of the advantages and disadvantages to each company structure. Okay, so for the sole proprietor, the advantages are it doesn't require a lot of paperwork. So it's easier to form the most business structures. Second, the owner has total control over everything and how the business is run on a day-to-day basis, who they hire, who they fire, and all the decision-making processes. And third, as a sole proprietor, it's easier to file taxes because it goes right to the owner's personal income tax return. Another advantage of a sole proprietorship is if you want to close the business, you just cease operations. It's as easy as that. There's little if no paperwork involved. The disadvantages of a sole proprietor is the owner accepts all the responsibility of the business losses and all of its liabilities. If something goes wrong, you are responsible, even if it has to do with your employees or if someone should slip and fall on the sidewalk right in front of your retail store. That is on you personally. Also, the owner is responsible for raising all the capital for the startup costs. And sometimes it's a little bit harder to sell a business that's a sole proprietor. Because the business is typically completely tied to the sole owner. A sole proprietorship is designed to have only one owner. So if that owner dies or the business is sold, the business structure automatically dissolves and the sole proprietor cannot be transferred to another party. The advantages of a partnership are if you choose a partner that has more expertise than you do in one area, they bring with them that vast knowledge and they're completely tied to the company and feel that moral obligation to remain with the company. Whereas if you hired an employee with this type of knowledge, they could leave at any time without any obligations. Raising capital is easier because you have two or more individuals that are partners and they bring with them their friends and their family and their resources for capital. So you can share the burden of startup costs and any capital expenditures. Also, if your company becomes in need of capital, you can bring in another partner to share the expenses. One thing that I missed about not having a partner is everything was all on me to get the business up and running. When I first started my business, I worked over 120 hours a week, and that can be stressful if you have a family or other obligations to attend to. So having a partner creates a better balance between your work life and your personal life. Some of the disadvantages to having a partnership are, there will be times when you disagree, And that disagreement can lead to major complications between the partners. There are many partnerships that had to be dissolved because both partners disagreed on where they were going. One example is Taco Bell. The original idea creator behind a taco franchise was Glenn Bell. Glenn Bell didn't have enough capital to start a restaurant, so he found a partner to finance the business. After his first store was so successful, He wanted to start franchising. The partner totally disagreed. So in 1962, he went solo, sold the original El Tacos, which was the name of the first restaurant he created with his partner, sold that back to his partner, and founded his first Taco Bell. As of April of 2022, Taco Bell now has 7,606 Taco Bell locations. So Glenn Bell did pretty good with this idea of franchising, but had he have listened to his partner, he surely would not have been as successful. Another disadvantage to partnerships is that, again, anyone who owns the company carries the burden of liabilities regardless of which partner was responsible for making the debt. However, you can choose to have limited liability partnerships. And in that case, just like the structure says, they only have limited liability. Another advantage to a limited liability company is it can get tax deductions for business losses. Finally, the last structure we talked about were corporations. One advantage of a private corporation is you're not obligated to share your financials with the public. You also don't have to worry about outside shareholders pressuring you to get the stock prices up. Disadvantages to a private corporation is there are more regulations than that of a sole proprietor or a partnership. And the more shareholders you have, the less control your business has. Then there are C corporations. These are the ones that they take public. The advantage is any individual who owns stock in this company or is associated with the business is not legally obligated. There are no liabilities for these people. So if the company has debt, it is not put onto the individuals running the company. Another advantage is they can raise capital just by selling stock in the company. And the ownership of these stocks is easily transferable. If someone dies, the shares are automatically given to the heirs or sold. A disadvantage of becoming a C corporation is going public can cost anywhere from a quarter million dollars to a half a million dollars. There is also extensive record keeping that the government insists on you doing. Corporations are also taxed at higher rates. They are double taxed. So first the corporation is taxed, then that income is sent to the shareholders as dividends, and then that dividends is retaxed on the shareholders, personal income tax. Another disadvantage is you have to hold annual stock meetings, even if you only have one stockholder. And at those board meetings, the board members can decide whether or not they want to fire the original founder of the business. Look at Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs revolutionized the computer world and created an amazing brand only to be fired from his own company and forced out of the billion dollar corporation he built from scratch. Eventually, he was rehired by the board members, but that's a pretty rare occurrence. Once a person is fired, it's very rare that they'll be rehired. So all in all, I would say that's the biggest disadvantage of a C-corporation. Something you built can be taken away from you at the blink of an eye. And finally, the last structure I talked about was an S-corporation. A private corporation that meets certain requirements can elect to be taxed as an S-corporation. S-corporations must have a maximum of 100 shareholders or fewer. My company, Deborah Rochelle Incorporated, is an S corporation. One of the advantages is if you form an S corporation, people can only go after items that the corporation owns, unless of course they can prove wrongdoing on your part. So S corporations get the benefits of being incorporated while having the same tax privileges as partnerships or sole proprietors. They're not double taxed like a C corporation. Also, a lot of regulations or penalties that C-corporations have don't apply to S-corporations. And transferring ownership is simple. You just sell the stock or transfer the stock. A disadvantages is there are some requirements and all the shareholders must be allowed to vote on any major decisions. However, if you own 100% of the shares, you have 100% of the vote. As an S-corporation, you can only issue common stock. And sometimes this can impact the ability to raise capital. Another disadvantage is you have to hold an annual stockholders meeting, even if you have one shareholder and you need to take notes annually on this meeting. So there you have it. I hope you've learned everything you need to know about the most common types of business structures there are. And I'd love to hear which type you chose for your own business and why. In the book that I'm coming out with in the near future, I also go into more detail about these advantages and disadvantages and what happened to me and how I lost thousands of dollars from structuring my business the wrong way when I first started up. I also write about how to register your business structure and this could save you thousands of dollars because you won't have to use an attorney. It's that easy. So this will definitely be worth the read if you want more information on business structures. Once again, thanks for listening. And if you have any questions that you'd like to ask, feel free to go to the Business Fashion Tips podcast on anchor.fm and it will let you call in your question. Or you can also go to businessfashiontips.com and at the very end of each podcast, there's a link provided for you to ask your questions. Tune into the next podcast where we'll discuss how to choose the right business name and how to register it and protect your brand. Have a great day.